You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Hi, everybody. I'm Matt Minnick, and this is Bengals Chalk Talk. Obviously, the Joe Burrow bandwagon grew pretty quickly in 2019, and there's been a lot of talk about his success and LSU success last season. But Burrow got there in 2018, and not as many of us were paying attention right away when Burrow got there. Today's guest is Brody Miller, who covers LSU for The Athletic. He was paying attention. So we're going to talk to him a little bit today about what to expect of Burrow in year one and beyond. Brody, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. You know, much better having, uh, having Burrow around and having something to be excited about after a 2-14 and season. What impact did Burrow have on the team and the offense in his first season with LSU. Yeah, you know, it is funny how so much of that, you know, I'm not I'm not criticizing anybody, but so much of, like, the perception of Burrow was based around this guy who went from, like, bad to good, you know, 2018 to 2019. And I get it. Like, his numbers weren't great in 2018 or anything. But I do think, yeah, it's something that gets lost is how huge of an impact he made year one, even when the numbers weren't exactly great. I mean, he came into a program – that first off, you can start with just the context of, for whatever reason, LSU for decades now has just been as great of a program as they've been, as much as they've been one of the top recruiters in college football. They've really been unable to develop good quarterbacks. You know, they've never really had anyone be a star quarterback in college, really. Demarcus Russell is pretty much the only NFL product they made, and obviously that didn't work out. It, 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 it's been pretty much historic. They just can't develop quarterbacks. I mean, yeah, they won titles with Matt Flynn and Matt Mock, but those guys weren't exactly you know, putting up big numbers or anything. So he came at a time where Ed Ogeron was in his second year, had quite a bit of pressure on him, to be honest, and really had to win. And LSU basically didn't have a quarterback. They had three quarterbacks in the room. None of them were really good enough to play yet. And they were in trouble. And, I mean, Joe Burrow came in and, one, just added a level of competency and just knowing what he's doing and toughness. I don't think LSU has had there in a while, even while the performances weren't great. And, I mean, he just... He man- I hate using the term game manager. I hate it. But they had a pretty good defense. They had a solid run game. And he managed an offense that was not built well. And they went. They won 10 games. They went to the Fiesta Bowl and won it. And, I mean, it was a breakthrough year for Ed Ogeron. He was one of the top coaches in the country. Burrow you know, didn't get much publicity, but he was one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC without much big numbers. And, and he just won over this locker room by being this, like, tough guy. And, 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 I, and I fail as to say – the 2018 offense was a mess around him. I mean, they had a scheme that was 
trying to modernize but was still kind of stuck in the old, you know, Les Miles era. And it just didn't really work, and they didn't have good receivers yet. And offensive line was a disaster. Everything around him was a mess. And Joe Burrow actually did a pretty good job of actually managing all that, keeping the pieces in line, and making some really clutch plays, to be honest, to, to you know, lead them to that season. So while I didn't expect by any means him to have the 2019 season he had, I did think he was going to be one of the three or four best quarterbacks in the SEC in 2019 because of what he showed us in 2018. So did you see a lot of development over the course of that season? Huh, that's a good question. I, I, I would say I did because – it's it's not even like anything necessarily changed with with him, but you just saw one, yeah, he was a little more comfortable because I think the context that people also forget is that he didn't really arrive at LSU until June or July, so he had, what, six or seven weeks, you know, to get to know his receivers and to get to know his this team and this offense before he basically got thrust into, you know, playing Miami on opening day. So, you know, he had no connection with those guys, and he, and he built a pretty quick one with Jamar Chase. I mean, I'm uh, sorry, Justin Jefferson that first year. But still, yeah, he didn't really have much to work with them. So that first, yeah, like eight games, I'd say, was – you know, he he never turned the ball over, which you got to give credit for him there because that wasn't that wasn't a great team. They won because they they won the margins, you know, and and then he never turned the ball over. He managed games, he ran the ball well, and he just kind of he just made those like I hate talking like this, but like those gritty little plays he just needed to win or make those clutch audibles at the line, things you didn't see. But anyway, I get all that to say, right around about week nine or ten, I want to say it was like the Rice game was the first time you started to see it, but. You know, he, they started letting him get a little more free and, and a little more freedom to run and whatnot. They didn't want to run him because they literally didn't have a back quarterback because Miles Brennan was hurt most of the season. So they started giving him a little more freedom there. And then you started seeing them kind of understand that, you know, they, their offensive scheme was kind of flawed because they were doing seven, eight-man protections. But, that, but they didn't, that, that meant Joe Burrow had nobody to throw to and the offensive line wasn't good anyway. So they realized that they were actually limiting him. So they started spreading the field more and letting guys go out for passes more and all these things. And right around the Texas A&M game was really the breakout where it was, I mean, they lost that game, sure, but it's the classic seven overtime epic game. It was one of the craziest nights of my life. And, you know, that was the game he kind of took them on their back for quite a while. You know, he was just flying around the field, evading sacks, taking off running. I think he... I don't have the number in front of me, but I think he might have been 100 yards rushing or something close to that. It was by far the most rushing yards he had ever had in a game or by far the most attempts. And he just kind of carried them and was making throws I wasn't used to seeing. And you started seeing, like, man, when you get when you give this guy freedom, he can actually, like, really do more than I think we all expected. And then by the Fiesta Bowl against UCF, they really understood kind of planting the seeds of what that 2019 offense was going to be, went five wide, went spread, got the ball out faster, and he had the game of his career, threw for nearly 400 yards, tore up UCF, and, and almost more legendarily, that was the game where he threw an interception in the first quarter that was a pick six, and one of the UCF linebackers just completely cheap shot it, knocked him out, and honestly looked like he was out cold. And it was like, everyone was like, oh, there goes the quarterback. And, you know, he basically had this huge gash on his neck, but just hopped up, said, you know, like, let's go and threw for about 300 yards after that for the rest of the game and tore them up. And a lot of people say, like, that's when Joe Burrow was really born. That's when Joe Burrow really kind of just went into a different level. And, and at the same time, offensively, that's when everything started to click. So you really did see him come into his own. You saw the offensive scheme figure out what to do with Joe Burrow. And you saw him flat out get more comfortable with the receivers and his targets, which is, I mean, that, can't, that part of it can't be understated for what happened in 2019. 
So you mentioned that the offensive line wasn't very good that year, and they weren't letting Burrow run. Do you feel that Burrow's ability to create outside of structure when they, they let him start to scramble, do you think that that was a big uh, impact in what made that offensive line great? And, and I believe they were voted the best offensive line in college football yeah. in 2019. <laughs> You know, I think the offensive line having – I mean, I think they won the offensive line improved because it was pretty much the whole line back, and they had a little more continuity, and some guys stepped up. So you can start there. But, I mean, I always say the offensive line was solid in 2019. I don't think it was the best line in college football in 2019. It was they finally had a scheme that understood that the offensive line is going to look worse if you're dropping these seven, eight-man protections, the quarterback has nobody to throw to, and he gets sacked, you know. So – they, they start – I mean, it's common sense in football these days, but, like, get the ball out faster and you're putting less pressure on your line. Get more options for him to throw it to, and that's going to give him more – he's going to get the ball out faster. So I, I do think a lot of that really made the O-line look better. But, yes, the freedom part is absolutely – and, you know, in LSU's defense, I don't think he had the confidence to do all that in 2018, you know, until maybe the end. I think he had to develop that. You know, I mean, I remember talking – you know, I did a lot of stories on his development last year, and, a big thing that his dad kept saying is like, hey, as much as you want to give credit to all these specific things, like at the end of the day, Joe came in in 2018 and hadn't started college football game before and hadn't really played quarterback in, at length since high school. And Andy was thrown into the offense two months before the season. So it was like he was relearning how to play quarterback, which is where you see a lot of the, you know, the actual quarterbacking mistakes he made last year, I mean, 2018. A lot of that was just him kind of relearning stuff because, for example, his footwork in 2018, he'll tell you this, was kind of messy. I mean, it was not very good, and, and he didn't handle pressure well. Like, he got kind of you know, frazzled a little bit when pressure was in his face and would make some kind of rush decisions or, you know, run around too quickly and things like that. And I think he had to learn, relearn all that, get that out of his system. So when he came back for the 2019 offseason, it was, one, he just had put in absurd amounts of work with the receiving core, like every single week doing these players-only workouts and getting timing down. So that was huge. And But two, basically spent an entire offseason, as I like to joke, like he was their third co-offensive coordinator that season. It was so involved in Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger building that team. And they would ask him what he thinks about things. And they would, and they, they would give feedbacks about the time that offense was put together. He had complete authorship of it, and he understood it, which he didn't have in 2018. So then you combine the footwork and the offense and understanding what's going on and timing with receivers. He was just more confident. So all of a sudden you saw him, you know, if pressure's in his face, he could make that quick throw to a spot he couldn't make before. He could scramble around and understand what he was doing and just felt like a different quarterback. So I know that's not even quite answering your question, but I just think the, all these things kind of came together, and Joe Burrow put much less pressure on the offensive line and all these things because he understood the offense more. No, I mean, you make some great points there, and, and I think a, a couple things that people need to realize about him or uh, that, that you alluded to there, number one, he got there in August, so he didn't have spring football. Just like this year, he didn't get rookie minicamp and OTAs, uh, yeah. you know, in a you know in a in-person setting uh, with the Bengals. And really, throughout his college career, he never had a spring practice where he was the starting quarterback. Absolutely. So you know, just going into that, you know, and, and realizing obviously he's going to have uh, make big strides in year two when he has that opportunity. And I think it's the same sort of thing you see in the NFL with a lot of these rookie quarterbacks that come out. 
it's really year two that they that they take off. And I mean, Kyler Murray, unfortunately, didn't uh, didn't get a, a full off season schedule either. So you know, he might be a little hampered uh, in year two compared to the opportunity some of these other guys have had. But I mean, you saw that with Mahomes, you saw that with Lamar Jackson. That, that year two is really the year they took off. As you said, Burrow was involved in the in the way the offense was being built, and he was also involved week to week. And I mean, being in grad school, when you're in grad school, people like they, they expect you to have a full time job. So you know, he basically was a, a professional football player last year. Uh, you know, just taking some grad school classes and working on his masters. So. Uh, it, it, it's it's kind of interesting how that worked out, and obviously it worked out very well for for LSU. Now we yeah, talked a little bit, about and, and I do think it's a great point that I think that's like a key thing with understanding him and what he did last year and all that is that yeah, like he literally had no other life, and as you get to know Joe Burrow more, you'll learn like he doesn't really have other interests. I mean, not many. I mean, he's a kind of a quirky guy, but he's not exactly somebody who wants to go out ever. He's not somebody who like you know is wants to go to the movies or anything he wants to just like i mean basically he and he didn't have school much and he pretty much just went to the lsu football facilities worked with the offensive coaches and tried to you know do all these things spent time with receivers and then went home in his one bedroom place and just like did nothing you know like he didn't really not many people have ever even been to his place they loved him but like mm-hmm. he's just not that like social type guy so it really is a crucial part of understanding, like, his life was football. And I know, like, he's in a tough situation this year, but I also think that might help him this season in the sense that, yes, this was unprecedented situation, but also these last five months or whatever since the draft, he's probably just been locking himself in a room trying to catch up and know what he's doing this season. And not to discount any of the other coaches, because obviously, you know, SEC coaches are uh, amongst the, the best in the, in the world. And uh, many of them on the same level as guys in the NFL. But having Joe Brady there, probably an underrated aspect of that is Burrow has all this free time on his hands, and Joe Brady knows exactly how he should be spending it because, because he knows how Drew, <laughs> Drew Brees spent it. He knows how Teddy Bridgewater was spending it. So we talked a little bit about the offensive line and, and the impacts that the offensive change and Burrow could have had on them. Uh, what kind of effect do you think he had on the talent around him? Uh, you know, you, you mentioned Jefferson, uh, obviously first-round pick this year. Uh, Jamar Chase, uh, we expect to be maybe a top-five type of pick this year. Obviously a little hard to predict the, those things, but <laughs> yeah. what, what impact did he have on the development of, of those guys? Oh, I actually don't. I know, I know it can get, like, corny when you start talking about some of these guys and their effect on people, but you really can't overstate how much he elevated people and just the sense that, like I said, he is a football-oriented person, almost at a compulsive level, and, that, and he's also an extreme perfectionist, almost at a compulsive level. So he's somebody who just, you know, like I said, would basically demand everybody come to these players-only workouts that were essentially practicing with the whole offense. And he just, I mean, it was, there was like, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson loved to joke about how anal he is about some of these things, but, like, if they didn't catch the ball exactly where he wanted it, if they were, like, one yard off the exact spot he wanted it, you know, he would give them a look or tell them and, like, really, like, harp on those details to such extreme extent. So, first off, that just led to them being more, you know, in tune and timing was great and, you know, the receivers played better because of it. But also just that kind of day-to-day lifestyle of being around Joe Burrow genuinely made other people act that way. And that's like that 
that weird undercurrent of that 2019 season that it's always like hard to explain to people. It's like, and it wasn't not much of what that happened that season was logical. It was, it was, yeah, they had a lot of really good players. They had a good scheme, but Joe Burrow just added this, you know, God, I hate talking like this, but it's like magic dust to everything around him in that sense that everything else just kind of like gained a certain sense of confidence and structure and hard work. And that's genuinely what happened. And, and then also I think he added a toughness because, I mean, you know, we talk about that 2018 season and it was messy and all those things. But, man, he won over that team because he was taking hits and hopping back up or he was running over linebackers because he refused to slide and like you know or or the Georgia game where he ran in a goal line touchdown and was jumping on the bench and beating his chest screaming this is my effing house you know like he he has those kind of things too in that elevated people and he has this he's the most confident human being I've ever been around in my life but it's not even like I'm the man it's just like a I he's like I just believe I'm better at football, you know, so that kind of confidence just filtered throughout. And I, I really do think that elevated everyone. And like you said, it just elevated the receivers and in, in, in how anal he was and it elevated the offensive line and how much he worked with them and how much he got the protections down. He ate every meal with the offensive line. You know, he understood they had to be his best friends. So he absolutely, he is a huge, Ed Ogeron deserves, yeah, almost the credit, but Joe Burrow also deserves a ton of credit for, the culture he developed at LSU that I actually think is going to last even longer than he's there. Yeah, into a number of years as a as a coach myself, I there were things that when I got into coaching, I was like, well, that's not true. That's like something from the movies. But <laughs> like, like you'd be shocked how often something happens that just like defies logic and makes no sense. <laughs> uh, and I actually, like I was, uh, you know, like the movie Mighty Ducks. You know the like Fulton yeah. literally made one out of every five shots. Like, you know, that seems like something from a movie that's stupid. I'm like, everything I've seen coaching, I would not be shocked at all to, to like, have a kicker that literally made one out of every five kicks. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Like, it, it's, 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 like, just stupid enough to be true. But um, With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So I think from the personality standpoint, definitely that motivation, that attitude rubs off, especially when you have it at that position, you know, having that type of competitor who is, I mean, by nature, Joe Burrow is a natural leader, but also at that position, uh, he becomes a natural leader for the team. Joe Mixon is a guy that the Bengals love, and they talk about what a great teammate he is and all the things that he does, you know, within the organization that the rest of us don't see. In addition to being very productive uh, as a running back, only running back who's uh, had 500 carries in the last, I forget how many years, and, and no fumbles, you know, a couple thousand yard seasons in a row, led the AFC in rushing two years ago. Uh, so obviously he's, he's gotten it done on the field as well. But, uh, you know, people get a little um, a little frugal when it comes to running backs nowadays. Uh, <laughs> the Bengals did not. Uh, they gave him a $48 million extension. Burrow had a very productive running back in college in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. 
both in the running game and the passing game. Uh, and obviously he was a high draft pick this year and, and going to Kansas City, watch out. But uh, <laughs> uh, what do you think that, that a guy like Burrow does for a multi-talented running back? Uh, and, you know, do you think that naturally they're going to get more out of Joe Mixon in the passing game because Burrow understands how to utilize those guys? Yeah, you know, I think that is interesting. That I mean, I, I start with the fact that Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Alaire were like, yeah, I was literally his closest friend on the team, so that probably doesn't hurt either. But, you know, I, I think the, the way I explain it is, because people always like to ask me, like, what's Joe Burrow, like, his greatest strength? And they'll be like, his, 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 free, you know, his ability to freewheel or his, ability, his accuracy, all these things. And I always say, his by far his greatest strength is his ability to process information and make quick decisions. I mean, LSU actually tests this and does some really cool testing on it, and he's just off the charts good at quickly processing information. And so that's always what I say his biggest strength is. You know, he never makes the right decision. The catchphrase almost last year was, like, the defense is always wrong. And that was, like, the common catchphrase between Burrow and Brady because if you read a defense right, you know better. You know this as a coach. Like, if you read a defense right, there's always something there. There should be. And I, to circle back, I say all this to say – Joe Burrow is so good with the running back because he always can process a defense so quickly and immediately make the right you know, decision. And I think where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire really benefited was checkdown becomes this cheap term, cheap, cheap term people use to kind of just be like, well, it's just a little dump off. But Burrow was so good at quickly reading a defense, understanding all the other four receivers on the field, what they could do, and then immediately understanding, okay, my, in like a second, way faster than most human beings understood you know what, my best option actually is Clyde Edwards-Alaire on the left side, you know, with no one in front of him. You know, he could process that so quickly, and I think that's the underrated part of quarterbacks. Like, check down could be a crutch, but if you know how to use it rightly, check down could be your biggest play sometimes. So I think he, that's where I – it might be a long-winded answer. I think that's where you can get the most out of a running back is always understanding how to do that and understanding how quickly to get the ball in that guy's hands. And, you know, it, it's probably something he learned from Joe Brady because Joe Brady's big catchphrase that he always used to tell me was – like, if someone gives you a gift, take it. You know, don't try to do too much. Don't try to – if someone gives you a gift and you have an eight-yard gain in front of you, if you dump down to the running back, don't think you're smarter than everyone else. Just take it. And I think that's something Burrow absolutely learned. But it's not just checkdowns because, you know, circle back to the last touchdown in the second quarter of the Alabama game. And, you know, Clyde – and granted, this is probably more of a testament to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but they drew this – drew up this fantastic play where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you know, ran a route into the corner and, hit you know, hit him for a 20-yard touchdown. But – that also shows, I guess, something that he knows how to manipulate a defense and know that, you know, the, the defense is probably isn't expecting Clyde Edwards Lair to go downfield like that and all that. But all this is to say, I think he knows how to, one, just knows when to distribute to him. But two, yeah, he knows how to work with him and you know, knows how to use that as a weapon to manipulate defense. I, I used to work with a guy who would say, don't get bored with success. So, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to I me. Mean, you're, you're speaking my language with the check downs. I, I like you're saying, <laughs> if, he's, if he's going to that that fast, I mean, when you check down four or five seconds in, the linebacker has finished his drop, and he's sitting there in a balanced position where he's reading the quarterback and he can break. But, I mean, if, he, if he's realizing it that fast and getting the ball off to Edwards Hilaire to Mixon and the linebacker's still dropping, now you've got to shift your whole body weight. You know, maybe he's still kind of processing the – uh, the receiver's routes and, and doesn't have his eyes on them. So you know, definitely a lot more opportunities when you're getting it off that fast to be able to rack up yards uh, after the catch for those running backs. Obviously, there are high expectations for Burrow in the NFL. 
What are your expectations for Burrow specifically this year? Like we talked about, it's similar to his first year at LSU where he's, he had some off-season meetings, but he's really geared around his teammates for the first time in August and has a real steep learning curve. Uh, what do you think he can do in year one? You know, I, like I said earlier, I do think, you know, if anyone's built for hand, I mean, it's going to be a, uh, it's going to hurt. Of course it is that he doesn't have a normal offseason. There's no way to sugarcoat that. But, but if there's anybody who I think is built for managing that and just, like, being so anal about, about making sure he knows what he's doing, that, that it would be Joe Burrow. But, you know, I mean, I, I almost didn't want to mention this. <laughs> you know, lose lacks kill my credibility. I, I am I was raised a Bengals fan, so I am a Bengals fan. Oh, uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had to keep that quiet. But, but yeah, and I, I think, you know, as much as the Bengals are, you know, we're the worst team in football and all those things, you almost I'm, – I'm curious. I, I actually want to know your opinion on this. But, like, I think offensively he's not in that – he's in a decent situation to succeed year one. I, I know the offensive line has a lot of work to do and whatnot, but at least you have Jonah Williams back. And, you know, you have one of the best, A.J. Green, one of the best receivers the last decade and a half if he's healthy. And you have, you know, you have Tyler Boyd, and we'll see what happens with T. Higgins and all, and all these guys. And he's in a position that he's not like, it's not, I don't know, Tua, you know, jumping in with that roster and anything like that, or it's not even Kyler Murray in that situation last year. I think he, I think he's in a position where he doesn't have to necessarily try to do too much, and it doesn't seem like the Bengals are going to try to make him do too much. So I do think he can be pretty successful. I mean, and that that is probably, and I, I'm sure this is your thinking when you did this is, um, I, I'm sure that's why the 2018 season kind of is a great parallel because he wasn't some statistical stud in 2018. He didn't necessarily you know, he wasn't putting up all SEC numbers or anything, but he found ways to win games even without, with a messy situation. I think that is a great parallel. Uh, you know, he, he probably can manage games if you need him to manage games. He can, you know, maybe run a little bit more than if he's in trouble, all those things. So I do think he, I, I mean, I think he can win six or seven games year one, which I don't know about you, but I think that would be kind of successful in year one for the Bengals. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, kind of finishing in the middle of the road. And you got to figure six or seven games, yeah, that's, that's short of 500, but you still feel like you're in, you're in competition in in November, December, you know, like, the, like you know, there's a chance in the playoffs. Uh, you know, maybe you drop a couple of those late, but you know, one thing, Burrow did come out in an interview the other day, and he said, now that I'm getting paid, I realize I have to slide. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. That was fantastic. Uh, and, and I'm sure, you know, with the uh, with the playoff drought the Bengals have had, I'm, I'm sure that uh, they make the playoffs and they're trying to win a game. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, the gloves will come off for that. But, uh, <laughs> but he understands that he needs to not hurt himself. Uh, no, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. The big issue is the offensive line. I think it's underrated. Right? We don't talk enough about the impact of losing Jonah Williams last year. Um, having, if he can be what I think he can be, what a lot of people think he can be, uh, you know, and, and learn fast, that should solidify that side of the line. They can help out the right side a little bit. I think Michael Jordan from Ohio State was a rookie last year. I think got a lot better. Should be able to establish himself as a pretty good left left guard this year. So. So that'll definitely help. As the year went on last year, the Bengals got better running the football. Uh, when they, they did some scheme changes, did a lot more toss plays, a lot more down scheme stuff. And Joe Mixon ran for, I believe, 817 yards in the last eight games last year. 
after a, an extremely slow start. So you've got that, that having a solid running game is going to help out Joe Burrow quite a bit. And then, yeah, like you said, he has got a ton of weapons around him. You know, a healthy A.J. Green, we haven't seen in a couple years, but, I mean, this was a guy who was a top five receiver in the, in the NFL. Um, and it's a great match for Burrow with, with the way he goes up and makes plays on contested catches. He can throw T. Higgins into that mold too, Auden Tate uh, into that mold. I think Tyler Boyd, like, you know, when it became clear that the Bengals were going to be in the running for the uh, the first overall pick, and, and I was really digging into to, uh, Burrow, you know, you see everything Justin Jefferson does, and you're like, this is all the stuff that Tyler Boyd does. Like, buy, <laughs> buy, buy Tyler Boyd stock right now because that guy's going to be going off. Uh, you know, pretty pretty quickly. I think uh, he's a guy, too, that they've talked about has built a real quick rapport with Burrow. But even, I mean, the thing about Burrow, too, is that he's, you're hearing about him throwing ridiculous balls and, and Mike Thomas and, uh, you know, Stanley Morgan and, like, guys that are deep on the depth chart making these plays. And that's something that the Bengals didn't have last year was a, a quarterback that could really help to create some things for for these receivers. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it is a, a pretty good situation for them offensively, the, the offensive line really being the X factor. But And uh, beyond that, though, uh, so we're focused kind of on year one, what to expect. Um, you know, what are your expectations for, for Burrow long term? You know, I I go back to the personality thing at the end of the day. I'm like, I think there are probably going to be better, you know, literal quarterbacks out there than Joe Burrow and all that. But I do think, you know, he is just one of those personalities that can elevate an entire franchise and that can, you know, change the culture of a place. And just seeing the reports out of Cincinnati the last month, I mean, it almost seems like you're already starting to see that with some of the way the defenders and guys talk about how, like, you know, after he throws an interception, he's going to them and being like, what did you see, you know? So stuff Mm -hmm. like that, I I just think he is that kind of personality. So I don't think Joe Burrow is going to be, you know, in the Patrick Mahomes category or anything like that. That's not quite my feeling on his feeling. I think he's probably – but I, I think Joe Burrow will be a pro bowler and a guy who maybe, you know, obviously it's, you never know with the Bengals, so I don't you have to qualify that. But, you know, a guy that really does make a, a team a title contender and, you know, consistently has them winning. And, like, I don't know if he's going to win MVPs or anything like that. That wouldn't be my guess. But I do think he's a guy that's going to win for a long time in pro football. That is my, my overall feeling. I just think he's a winner. Absolutely, yeah, and, and this comes back to all those intangibles that you you talked about him bringing into LSU. It, it definitely seems like he's bringing those things with him to Cincinnati, and and I am I am here for it. <laughs> uh, all right, well, my guest today was Brody Miller from the Athletic. Brody, where can uh, people find your work? Absolutely, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Brody A Miller. Get all my stuff there, and then. Uh, you know, at theathletic.com, subscribe. I mean, these days there's always a discount somewhere for 30 or 40% off a, a subscription. Yeah, so uh, subscribe there and help us out a little bit. Appreciate uh, you joining me. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I am Matt Minnick from Cincy Jungle. Good day. Yeah, we coming for us.